Y'all, welcome, welcome back to the Think Peace podcast. I'm so excited today. We have probably one of my favorite people to watch on the internet um, joining us, someone who I think navigates the online space, at least to my outside eye, with so much grace and flexibility and creativity. Um, Edgar Fabian Freyas is here today. Um, Edgar is a boundary-breaking multidisciplinary artist. You probably know them from um, their beautiful kind of glitch-style artwork and work in the crypto art space, in addition to all also having degrees in psychology, studio art, and MFA, uh, a therapy practice, like truly one of the people doing like the most interesting pile of stuff I have met. Edgar, welcome. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much, Sarah, for having me here. And yeah, I super, super appreciate the intro. I'm glad that things look gracious on your end. <laughs> it's always fun to hear how other people feel, right? I'm like, you look so cool to me. <laughs> like, I don't know. But today we'll find out what it's like behind the curtain. Yeah. <laughs> um, so give us just, I, I gave you the super brief intro, but you are a, a wealth of, of creativity and projects. Um, who are you? What do you do? Uh, what do you want to tell us about your work and your practice? Yeah. So yeah, I'm a multidisciplinary person. I have uh, two businesses that I run. One is called Therapy with Edgar. I have a somatic mindfulness-based uh, practice where I work with individuals and groups. And I also am a multidisciplinary artist that uh, you know, does exhibitions in museums and galleries and universities all over the world. And I also, you know, share my art uh, via like educational spaces. I run workshops. I get invited to do, uh, you know, visiting artist lectures. And uh, I also share my art in the crypto art space too. I'm, I've uh, been in that space since the beginning of it before it like blew up and blew out and got imploded and whatever else has happened in that space. Uh, but I've been in that space for a while too. And it's been, Nice to find different pockets to move into within the uh, interweb space. <laughs> I think that's like where I want to start is like this state of the internet, right? We are, it, it seems a little cliche to be like, we feel like we're on the precipice of something new again, again. Like it's been the, the destabilization, <laughs> destabilizing force of the internet is kind of in some ways inherent to its its being and its spirit, I think. Yeah. But we are at this funny moment where it's like social media has gotten like even weirder if that was possible. It was already weird and now it's gotten more weird. And then there is actually like, okay, so maybe crypto had a bit of a bust, but also I feel like I'm seeing more crypto stuff again. It's like coming back oh, totally. and there's, you know, and there's AI and like so many different things happening. What are the pockets that you're excited about? And what are you, what are you, what are you feeling? What is the vibe out there for you? Mm, yeah, I really like what you're mentioning. You know, I do feel like uh, that precipice feeling has been you know, almost like a carrot that's been dangled in front of us a lot, uh, especially, uh, you know, I guess what comes up as we're talking about this is I think about like manifest destiny. And I think about like, this narrative of like, there's just like, free empty land to conquer and space. And I do feel like uh, a lot of times like marketing schemes get uh, you know, use this idea. And I do feel like a lot of us can sometimes feel like, oh my gosh, this is like dead and old and tired and we're moving into this space now. We're doing this new thing and we can get really excited. And I do think that that's like, it's both like a marketing thing, but I also do feel like there is potential for things to shift and change. And we are in such a really weird, unique moment. And I, I'm, 
Yeah, I think, you know, I'm really excited about people uh, self-organizing, finding ways to create their own networks, their own platforms, their own private spaces, their own ways of connecting with their communities. I've been uh, just really inspired to see people uh, start to understand that the internet belongs to all of us and that we don't only exist in one place. I think that has been a big shift uh, that I've noticed maybe in the last few years that, you know, platform agnosticism has become so much more of a thing. And on top of that, people are also really understanding the value uh, of having spaces that are a little bit more private, not so public, or where you can have maybe harder conversations that go deeper or more intimate uh, with folks that you're connecting with. I love, first of all, the manifest destiny thing, because I think, I think about that all the time. And I'm, I got kind of obsessed last year with data centers and the, like the physical manifestation of the internet on right. the land, um, right. which has a huge environmental impact. And, um, they're really loud and like disrupt people who live near them and huge, um, energy, you know, impact. And I just saw to this morning, I think it was BlackRock has invested like something like billions and billions in dollars into a new like data center scheme. Like, like that's wow. like, like it, this, that that's like the, um, where they're like choosing to invest their resources in anticipation of this growth. So when we talk about manifest destiny, the lie of it, it's also true online that it's a lie in the sense of like, there is an endless expansion because it is still rooted in like the physical space. So does, I love hearing you use that language because I was like, yes, it's like as much as we (laughs) can find new pockets and create new things on it. It's also, it's not true. It's not true that there is endless expansion. Um, We are, we are limited. Um, But what you're talking about in terms of sorry, just a little a little data set. Yeah, yeah. Rant no, that's, I feel like I I like also I'm like I, I can talk so much about this too because it's such an important thing to talk about that I do feel like things can get so abstracted or there can be this narrative of like yeah we can grow as much as we want but there are real communities, real spaces, real land that is being occupied and. There's so much I can share about that if we want to go down in that direction. But I also know that you were going in another direction. Right. So. I'm going to put a pin in that because we can come. I think we can come back to that because I do think, especially you're someone who has a an, a practice that exists in the physical realm in existence in addition to the online realm and like bridging those two things is something I'm like super interested in right now. Yeah. Um, but what you're talking about this platform agnosticism and this like. I'm going to even tell it's like, it's almost like a reclaiming, recognizing that the internet is actually something that belongs to us, right? It's like going back almost as like web 1.0, this like original, more hackerish version. Um, and these, these private spaces, the first thing that comes up to me, you and I are both business owners, right? You have two businesses. And one of the things I did that keep like bumping my head against is how the private spaces and a more decentralized internet impacts business, how much harder it makes it to find your people and that the centralization of um, social media in particular and the resulting kind of advertising opportunities in particular have have really been a huge part of what made it possible for so many of these small online businesses to thrive. What are you feeling about that tension between kind of maybe this positive privatization, self-regulating spaces that are either kind of like carving space out of larger conglomerations or or being built separately. Um, and then like the, how do you run a business online when you need to reach people thing? Yeah, it is definitely like um, 
something that I'm constantly in dialogue with uh, because I do have private spaces where I connect with folks and I also am someone that still feels like the need and, you know, has the practical need to reach out into the public spaces, knowing that that is how a lot of folks learn. And, you know, especially as someone who, you know, witnesses, like when I post something or when I share something in my newsletter, I do get like invited to like exhibit or to talk in places or I get new clients, you know, like I do see that. Um, but I do feel that, you know, the I've noticed that the, you know, platforms are aware that this is happening too. And so they have been trying to find ways to like really maximize people's uh, time on their platforms or to like almost sometimes like either gaslight us or threaten us or like entice us, like whatever it is that they're needing to do to keep us in these spaces. And, um, you know, I do feel like this was something that I thought a lot about during the uh, initial stages of Web3 when I started seeing artists really reclaiming their uh, ability to sell their art, to have ownership of their art. I saw all the social media platforms like trying to figure out how to integrate Web3 into their space. <laughs> and in a similar way, I'm seeing that now with AI, where it's like every single platform is trying to figure out how to put AI in any pocket they can. And I think there's always going to be a back and forth. And it's almost like, you know, I, I love that you bring up the word hacker, because I do feel like it is, it's a direct relationship, but it, you know, it's contentious sometimes, it's sneaky sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I do feel like on both ends, like we have to be really aware of each other, we can't just ignore each other, even if we want to, like, we are in relationship. And I think that is something that I've been having to really grapple with of what does that mean for me? And especially as someone who um, is still reliant on them, my, my, my own private systems are not big enough to be able to like sustain. So I still have to advertise or like find ways to really um, put myself out there, even if I'm like wanting to not be on, in these spaces too. Yeah, I, I really, I mean, I really resonate with that and respect it. I knew when I made the decision to not do that anymore, that I was going to have to basically do something else. I mean, I, yeah. I came out of stealth mode this week uh, for anyone who reads a newsletter and like, I am, I'm looking for jobs. I'm like, I'm, I'm back. I'm, I'm, I'm going back to the workforce, baby. And like, I knew that that was a really serious possibility, um, that that would be kind of the impact of deciding in my case, not to use Instagram, um, in particular, but, and there's a bunch of other factors. It wasn't just that, but all of them aligned up. And I was like, we're, we're making a resume, um, which do you guys know about LinkedIn? Side note, apparently this has become a big thing since I was on, I'm kidding. Um, but it has, I was like, great. Now I'm on LinkedIn, like a, like a professional. Um, <laughs> this was not a thing last time I went looking for jobs. It was like barely a thing. It's been so long yeah. since I was like looking for a, for like a regular <laughs> career -y job. <laughs> now I'm like, great. Another social media platform. Um, but so I really, but I really resonate with that tension that you're talking about. And it's like, I've made a choice, at least for now, I has always reserved the right to, to change my mind and probably will. Um, but how are you navigating that? I mean, and you have such interesting toolkit, right? As a creative and an artist, but also as a therapist with that training, how, how are you navigating that private versus public and the kind of the, what's necessary for your business? And, but also what, what does, you know, feed you and help you feel sustained for the long haul? Yeah, uh, there's different things that I do. Like, I definitely have um, uh, pretty big boundaries in terms of, like, how much time I allow myself to be in these spaces. Um, and 
I also am someone who's had to learn to be pretty boundaried around how much access people have to me uh, in these more public spaces because, uh, you know, I've had a lot of really weird interactions or just like folks who, you know, um, have either parasocial relationships or feel like they can ask you for advice or support and then get upset when you, you know, don't just freely give up all your time. Um, and, you know, I've also am someone who has really had to find, uh, you know, more either quieter spaces or spaces where I can really connect with folks that are really organized around like supporting certain things that I'm doing. And so I do have a lot of like little like private DM groups or like, you know, private little spaces where I can like check in because I do feel like it is really important to still be in conversation. Like, I think, you know, one example I can think about is, you know, as an artist, like, I do know that a lot of us, like, you know, work with similar people. And so uh, in some of the groups that I have, like, we are letting folks know, like, hey, like, this was a really great opportunity. You should apply to this, you know, or stay the hell away from that person because they are evil, you know, like, yes. and we need those kinds of spaces. And this is like stuff that like, you know, the glitz and glamour of like a more public space will not really uh, leave room for that type of nuance, right? Or leave room for that type of gossip that can actually be really uh, impactful. And so I feel like I really let myself kind of dive into like more private spaces connect with folks and really build meaningful relationships there. And, you know, obviously still do that in public spaces, but still like, I, I definitely feel like that's like what I like about, you know, knowing that like, I don't only exist on Instagram, for example, that like I'm someone that is in other places and that people can send me an email or people can write me in other places. Like, I feel like I need to have that in order to Feel like I can still show up in those spaces and you know I think this makes me really you know think about like how much my relationship with social media has changed where it was something that felt really exciting and liberating and I for a long time was like yay all my friends are here and we're all connecting we're all being silly and having fun together and it has turned into a lot more of um we are planning a business or we're like being professional or we're building our resume, we're building our portfolio, we're having to really only like share a certain slice of ourselves in this space. And so that is like such a different world that like I've had to kind of come to terms with of like, you know, my Instagram is now, it is something that is really a part of my work. It's part of my business. And, you know, it's not a fun place. You know, obviously I do enjoy people's content. I do enjoy connecting with people, but it's not like a place where I'm going to go and just like relax. You know, it's like a part of my work plan for the day or whatever. Yeah. That professionalization has been so interesting. And I, I, I do, I remember, I mean, like, I remember Facebook when it first rolled out. I remember Twitter, which I loved from the get-go. Back when you used to text in your tweets. Anyone remember yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, some of us are old enough to remember that. Um, and then Instagram was like such a big deal, but it came out and like photos and so cool, right? And all those filters. And when I um decided to step off of the Instagram platform, at least for now, I went through and I archived everything, which was a wild experience to look at how I used to use the platform and how it changed over time. And it was like, you know, this, this snapshot of that professionalization and that work aspect of it. And you can see like the, the increase in professionalization, the decrease in fun, like a direct, like kind of <laughs> going in the opposite direction, like kind of graph. And 
I know for me, I never figured out how to have the boundaries you're talking about, at least not effectively. I just, I have like, I have the self-control of like a very small child with ADHD, which is what I was. And I'm like, I had and still am. It's like, I can't stop myself from doing some, some of these things. And I'm curious for you, is there anything that has helped you with that? I mean, you talked about having these other spaces and I like, I same, I was like being like, I am a person who exists off of Instagram was like a huge part of my, <laughs> my personal journey. So you have other spaces where you're, you're getting some of those needs met in terms of the deeper connection and hopefully some of the play, what else has helped you to continue to navigate this? Because it is like, I would never, I keep saying this, I would never in good conscience tell a business to not be on Instagram. Like I, there, you can choose not to, but I still think that social media is absolutely critical for businesses. So what is working for you right now? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I definitely have um, moments in my workday where I like don't go on the internet, you know, or like um, give myself or even like create a space for myself to really just focus on projects or just focus on getting things done. And I think that has been really helpful knowing that I don't have to be online all the time or that if I am online, it's to there's like a purpose behind that. Uh, and also having days where I just like don't access the internet, it has also been really helpful. Like days where days. I I had four days once like last year, which was really wild. Um, yeah, I like did not go online, and it was not by choice. It was because I was in a I was in a retreat, and we had no internet or cell phone connection. Uh, but I definitely um, have some like my partner doesn't let me do this but like i used to before like leave my phone at home and like just try to have a day without my phone but my partner and i was like you need to have your phone with you and so i have you know i but i definitely try to like use my phone as a phone or as like an mp3 player or whatever to try to like mitigate some of that but it is so hard living in a world where we are kind of expected to be online accessible and also where we are primed you know to get those dopamine hits even if it's through our email you know like i like i've definitely noticed like i you know being someone who sometimes gets like big emails about stuff i definitely have like that dopamine like feeling whenever i'm like refreshing my emails of like am i gonna get a big prize in my email inbox today you know and that's wild that like email can get to that place, you know, something so banal and boring, but, you know, can be like a source of like a dopamine hit. But I think like acknowledging these things and, you know, being a therapist, like really understanding that there are things that I need as a person for my mental health. Like I need to take walks. I need to like stretch. I need to have time to just like play and not be doing things that are structured like these are all things that i know i need to be able to be uh, a working living person and and i think as an artist like it's helpful knowing that there are times that you know my play is actually supportive and so i think supportive in terms of like it's i'm I, like i'm making something so sometimes you know you know a lot of being an artist can be like sending emails or like planning stuff, organizing stuff. But I know sometimes like I have to force myself to play. I have to force myself to experiment and to try things out. And I, it feels good to like have to do that because I do also have that part of me, like a lot of us do, that's like, that's a waste of time. What are you doing? You're supposed to be sending emails. Like, why are you playing? But at least like I have this other part of me that's like, no, that is part of your practice. You have to today be twiddling with fabric and, you know, 
seeing what happens when you play with this color. Like I need to do that. And so like, that's been really helpful. It's like having almost like my managers, I'm thinking like in a therapeutic way, like my managers on board with like my playful parts, like knowing that I need to make space for them too. Yeah. I, I, um, first of all, just like days, man, I like, I'm like ready to like lock myself up at like a retreat and never see my phone again. <laughs> what I have been so like, I, with like the, 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 the navel gazing meta analysis of the self that I'm so fond of, like now that I'm in a place where I actually, I don't have like customer support anymore. I'm mostly working on like longer term, um, kind of more consulting projects with a handful of people. So like mm -hmm. I've gone from managing lots of emails to very few emails. Um, the way that I, I still refresh my email, like compulsively looking for often the negative dopamine hit of somebody being mad at me, <laughs> like my favorite, <laughs> my favorite kind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the the person who's mad about something um right. that is and, and watching how i still have that behavior and it's been it's been several months since i've had any kind of container that would have created that kind of more than several months since i've had that so like when i hear you describe like i complete it's amazing how email can do the exact same thing um though i am hopeful that the next time you check your email you have a giant prize in it um <laughs> I, I love that idea of like opening up your email and like winning you're like yes yes <laughs> but it is it's wild to me how deep that's become and you're kind of hitting on something that I, I've been thinking about, and I know I've talked about it a lot with other people in the podcast, and is that, you know, the thing is to actually do what you do, right? To be an artist, you have to take time away. You can't, being, you, like, you, even if you're making digital art, you still, like, being on social media, I guess there are, there have been projects that are, like, social media projects, um, right, specifically, right. of course, but, but you have to take that time away you know, and I, with people you work with or kind of people you've advised and you've worked with and you've like, as hopefully mostly consensually, you've had a lot of people ask you questions about like an art practice and stuff over the years. How do you, how, what do you recommend? Or do you have any ideas to help people kind of cultivate that sense of having their managers on board with something like that? I feel like so many people who listen to the show are artists, are writers, are creators, um, are trying to make stuff and they can easily get stuck into the, the email, uh, to the refreshing and not give themselves the space to actually do the thing that ultimately is what will, first of all, like maybe fulfill them, but also get them paid. Like it, it is their job. How, yeah. how? <laughs> It's definitely been a lot of like retraining, um, having to retrain certain parts of myself. Like, I think one thing that comes up is, you know, a few years back when I first started to move into having a business, I, my mom was really worried for me because she, you know, all I've known my whole life was having a job. And so like, my mom was like, what are you doing? Like, you should have a full-time job. I was like having a part-time job and I was really trying hard to like make my art a thing, you know, and I remember one day telling my mom, like, you know, like, I could make like $300 today if I like had a job or whatever. But like, instead, like, I'm choosing to open up possibility of like, maybe in one day I could make $20,000. Like if I like apply for something or if I like make an artwork or, you know, like kind of trying to think of time and, and money differently. And yeah. And, you know, a couple of months after I said that to her, I got awarded like an artist fellowship that gave me two years full time, full ride, had, you know, a stipend, had a studio, had an, you know, arts, uh, an apartment, like didn't have to worry about anything for two years. And that like really helped me as an artist, like grow and like really step into my business full time. And I think that was 
big for my managers because it like really helped them see like yeah. you were right like yes you maybe didn't work for a couple of weeks because you weren't working but you were doing something different and so I think with that it's also helped me kind of challenge those thoughts that come up when I'm like why am I just playing on Photoshop today when I could be like making money somehow and you know reminding my managers at that time of like this is part of my business. This is part of my work. I, this is fun. I love, cause I love Photoshop, for example, this is super fun. I'm really relaxed and enjoying myself, but this is also work. And so really kind of having to retrain this idea. Cause I also have ideas around like work is supposed to be hard. You're supposed to hate it. You're supposed to be annoyed the whole time you're doing it. And just the thought of like, you know, doing things like, you know, for example, I love doing therapy too. Like I love working my with my clients. I many times feel so like alive and blissful when I work with people. And similarly, like there are parts of me that are like, should you feel this way? Like, shouldn't you hate it? Like, shouldn't you hate your relationship with your clients? And I'm just like, no, like, and so it has been a lot of like retraining and I've had to receive a lot of my own therapeutic support to like let those managers come forward and really share their thoughts and sometimes be really surprised of like wow you really believe in that <laughs> you know because <laughs> there's so many ways we're taught these things and we just like internalize them and like then police ourselves or like place ourselves in a little box and I think it is helpful sometimes just to hear that and then to try to rebuild a relationship where things can look a little different things can shift a, a bit and it's definitely not an overnight thing I, again I've gotten a lot of therapeutic support to really help my managers because they they can get really rigid <laughs> <laughs> I think that that process is of of the, the self-awareness to do that and then be able to like in what you're talking about almost like, like still having to do that or or still having it come up is really helpful to hear because I think for a lot of folks there's this belief that another belief right that like you'll be like done with it sometime or that you should and even if it doesn't matter how many memes we read on Instagram we still think we should be done with you know with with healing be done with like the the thoughts and I just have not found that to be my experience so it's like it's so helpful to hear you be like yes like you might still have be on photoshop and be like oh you should be you should be working <laughs> yeah I, I literally will have yeah. moments like that where I'm like I'm working on a project and I'll have a manager come up and be like why aren't you working and I'm like I'm working right now yeah. And I love that piece about the fun too. I know that I notice that with writing a lot when I'm working on something like my novel where I'm like, I'm like, I get into it and it's like, it's just, it's, it is a pure flow state for me. Just like completely yeah. absorbing. Like my whole brain is lighting up. It's everything. I'm like, it's all these different things I love. Right. And how hard it has become for me to sit down and do it because I feel like I should be working. And I'm like, I'm definitely not at a place where I'm like, I'm going to sell this novel. Who knows, right? We, a girl can dream. But like, like the idea that that isn't work somehow, that like sitting and writing this isn't isn't valid work. So I've noticed like I am stopping myself from doing the action because it's fun. And I'm like, oh, I don't deserve that fun or, or it's not real work. Um, so it's, it's, it's makes me so, it makes me so sad for all of us. <laughs> it's like really depressing. But I yeah. think that is one of the things I think social media is actually really cool about is seeing other people having similar experiences, right? Or I always think of, I'm like, you and I would never have met. Like, how would, maybe we would have, but like, how would we have met? Like, how would we have encountered each other? And I'm curious when you're looking at, at the work that you do and the art that you make, how has like social media and the internet impacted it? 
has it changed what you make? Has it, has it formed what you make? Has it changed how you think about what you make? Like I I'm, I'm, we're talking about that relationality. Like I'm so interested in how the tools we use and the world we're in change the way that we react to things. And I think for an artist in particular, I feel like you guys are like literally like on the front lines of that. <laughs> uh, such a big question. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, there's so many ways. Like I think what, what's coming up first is like, even just like the feeling of being able to like live my life in the way that I do, where I'm just like in charge of my time. I'm just like, you know, doing my own bullshit. Like that was so inspired by other people doing that too, like forging those paths and saying like, I'm staking a claim and saying like, I'm this person and I'm doing this thing. Like that was so inspiring for me. And I think so many people have been inspired in that way to use these spaces to support us in creating something like that's <clears throat> been so life-changing and I think in a similar way like as artists like we're always looking at each other and being inspired in terms of aesthetics like what's you know kind of relevant at this moment and or what is exciting and you know I'm someone who's very much in dialogue with the internet like I use a lot of like the internet in my aesthetic and I like to kind of um, bring things forward that maybe become like innocuous or like don't get seen very much because I do feel like there is something around like things becoming naturalized or things becoming normalized as like that's just how it is on the internet like knowing that there are aesthetic things that shift and change and I think it is important to highlight them to point them out and um, I definitely play around a lot with like aesthetics or styles, ways of being. And, and you know, in a similar way, I think kind of going back to the conversation we were having, you know, I think about like, for example, the work you've done where, you know, I think about like my dreamer artist self that's like not a manager that is just like wants to be an artist and like feels like wishes I could just do it by just like being in my studio and playing all the time. Like I have been inspired by folks like you who also are like bringing in other elements that as artists like we don't get capacity building around training around like and that is like how to be a business person how to navigate money and capitalism and how to thrive and survive and sustain ourselves like those have also been big learning things that i have been so inspired by folks on social media or the internet and has really helped me uh you know become more of a successful person like i do feel like last year was a big learning for me of really having to come to terms with like, okay, I'm like fully in this. I am like have two businesses. I'm like doing this. I'm at this moment, not looking to get a job. Maybe I will at some point in the future, but at this moment, this is what I'm doing. So let me build something that can really sustain me and support me. And so that's also been a big thing where I do feel like a lot of folks have been sharing knowledge, sharing information around how to do this. And so in some ways we've all been trying to build a system that will like support ourselves, but also as you know, as you've talked about, as we've seen, like, because we're constantly navigating these shifting landscapes, like what we do, who we are, like totally changes. And we are having to kind of be in constant dialogue and trying to figure out like where we are in that space. And so I think that both, business-wise, but also art-wise too. Like I do feel like my art has been impacted by the shifting landscape that we're in. And, um, you know, I used to, for example, do so much stuff in person before the pandemic and have really pivoted to doing so much virtually. Like I would have never thought I'd have a fully telehealth therapy practice. And 
that's just like how it is now. Like, that's what I do. I, you know, I, I don't think I'll ever have in-person clients like that idea even feels weird now to me. <laughs> and so I just seeing how much has shifted based on like the experiences that we've been having on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Just, it reminds me when I was, I started working with uh, my most recent therapist during the pandemic, but we lived in the same town. And when um, things started opening up and things went out, he was like, oh, I realize I, I you were, were virtually saying, I need to tell you, you know, if I see you like in the supermarket, like I'm not going to say hi. Like he's like, you know, he was like, usually we would have already had this conversation, <laughs> but <Totally>. we haven't. <laughs> um, and it didn't ever happen, but it was such a funny moment where I was like, wow, we like, we're so on, like this has become so online that now we have to be like, how do we actually navigate? He's like, he's like, I'm not going to, he's like, I won't say hello to you because of, and I was like, that makes sense. But um, yeah, that, that people, um, that piece about, I mean, the internet piece in terms of being like online and the idea that, yeah, that you have like launched a therapy practice that is fully telehealth is just so cool and is not something that would have happened even a few years ago for most people. But I think about that in terms of like how the tools, you know, shape what we make and how, you know, social media shapes it. And then like something like the telehealth, like Zoom, how that really changes the interactions. And I'm kind of curious, like if you look at yourself as like an artist over a period of time, is there anything that you feel like you've lost that you want to kind of bring back maybe because of the digital aspect of it? Or like, you know, I've, I've been thinking a lot about how same, I, I was already running an online business, but I still did a lot of in-person stuff. I like did like in-person teaching tours, like went places and taught in multiple, you know, like, can you, it's like, can you imagine? <laughs> no, that was only like four years ago. Um, and now that would seem kind of silly almost like who would do that? I mean, I could still, but I, I it wouldn't occur to me. Um, is there anything that that has has been lost that you're kind of like trying to like pull back in or 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 I guess like almost like or digest or use in a new way with with how online your work has become? Yeah. Um yeah, I you know, I think one thing that comes up is like I think about like there was a period on social media where I felt so much freedom to just be performative in videos I made and I do feel like that's kind of gone away a little bit where um I would like to bring more of that back because I love doing performance work and um, I I have noticed like there is like more of a hesitation, less of a like just fluidity in that. And so that is something I've thought about, like wanting to encourage myself to try to like reconnect with that energy, see what that would be like, knowing that we're not in the same place we were back then. But what would it be like to bring some of that energy into this space? And I have also been thinking about uh, potentially offering more in-person stuff. Like I, 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 I do have some like in-person like performances scheduled this year. I also have some in-person like exhibitions scheduled. And I also think like traveling and sharing my art in person in other places has felt like something that wasn't really possible, but I'm wanting to feel like that's like more and more of a possibility too. And um, I know how important it is to have in-person space to grow. And, you know, one thing that um, I've been thinking about recently was like a few years back before the pandemic, I did like an in-person artist intensive residency at a um, therapy center in North Hollywood. And it was so profound. And we ended up, it was 24 people that participated and they ended up doing an exhibition uh, at the end of the intensive. And um, I'm still in connection with a lot of those folks. And I've seen a lot of them step into their own artistic voices and continue to collaborate, continue to create spaces for themselves and others. And 
just seeing the impact of that has really encouraged me to continue to do that. And um, I actually just got an email, one of, you know, one of those dopamine hits. I just got an email <laughs> a couple of days ago letting me know that um, I got a big grant to potentially do something. And I'm like kind of at the place where I, it's pretty open. So I'm kind of like sitting with the like, okay, if this is virtual, these are some of the great things that can come of that if this is in person. And so just even having that choice feels so exciting too. of like, I can really see the benefits and the drawbacks of both and being able to really feel like you could do both or like decide on one also feels really exciting because I do feel like that didn't feel like a possibility before. Um, and so that also feels good of like, to be able to have a choice and to build something, you know, really intentionally with one of those choices feels really good too. Yeah. Well, congratulations on the grant. Thank you. <laughs> so exciting. <laughs> um, yeah, the the element of choice is, I think, one of the things that often um I find that technology is something that I, I really wish made me feel like I had more choices. And often if I'm not careful, it makes me feel like I have fewer choices. Um, I think of that in terms of social media. I think of that in terms of the way that the, the, the default behavior changes, defaults to online, defaults to Zoom. So that, that piece about, yeah, kind of being aware of those in-person impacts and then getting to actively choose. And in your case, right, what's going to probably best fit either your interests or the thing you want to make, like what does it make the most sense is really exciting. And I think like, I always think choices is a, as a muscle we have to kind of, we have to work on, right? It's very easy to, 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 to lapse out of it. Change is, is hard and we're, we're, yeah, we are, we, we can very easily just kind of slip into the stream and, and not, and not do that. But the, um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I'm very interested in like how some of these things start to like limit our feeling of choice. Yeah, I think I want, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to just say, like, I think one thing that feels connected to what you're saying, too, is like at the beginning of this year, like, you know, part of getting my finances in order, I've like, you know, really separated my finances and like only like let myself buy things from my business, you know, account for stuff. And in my art practice, I didn't have enough money at the beginning of this year to get uh, the Adobe suite again. And, uh, you know, really seeing, you know, leaning into choice, like it's like really opened up the whole a whole world of like open source software for me and um this you know new tools has been so impactful for me and so sometimes like you know limitations can actually open up other possibilities and like just really uh seeing how that's actually impacting the way my art looks and the kind of art that I'm deciding to make has been really big too and so I've just been also really sitting with like uh, you know, what is available when you feel like you have a limitation or where something comes up that like forces you to pivot or reorganize in a, in a different way too. Yeah, no, that that's, I, I've, I've gone through something similar recently too, where those like, and kind of the, the how, how limits actually create choice is something I'm super interested in. And that again, with, you know, with that sense of like how the tools actually dictate what the art looks like or what you end up creating um, can be really interesting. And that's when we do talk about kind of the state of the state of the internet and the, the centralization of tools. And it's, you know, there's a lot of talk of kind of the algorithmic kind of flattening, um, which is language I think that Kyle Chaka maybe came up with. He has a book filter world that's just out, which I haven't read yet to be fair. Um, he calls it this like algorithmic flattening in terms of, um, you know, aesthetic and taste and things like that. But 
how with it, with that convergence, right. And we, the, the divergence that you were talking about earlier, how each of those little portals opens up something new. And you um, mentioned a word when we were talking before we started and I've seen you ascribe to your art and to yourself as word of mutant. Um, and when I think about these, you know, the convergences and divergences of, of opportunities of tools and how that informs the work that we do, that I, that ability to mutate, shift and change starts to feel really important because not everyone would do what you did say, I don't have the money from this part of my business. So I'm going to find other tools. Some people would just stop. Some people would find the money somewhere else. Some people would look at the other tools and then panic. (laughs) Like there's a lot of other, like a lot of responses and you've opened a door to something new as a result of that. It's not inherent to me that, 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 that would be the result. Tell us a little bit more about like this, this mutant ideology (laughs) and how it fits in with your work. And maybe we can kind of expand it to talk a little bit about surviving the internet age. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's so much behind mutant. I think it really connects to my own sense of power and feeling empowered in the world, having an ability to adapt and change and not be uh, either a victim or an afterthought or something that is just having to acquiesce to change, but is in dialogue, in relationship, is a part of that change. And uh, I think part of it is that I have the weird, according to my partner, the weird disposition of like loving uncertainty. I love uncertainty. I love unknown. Like even for example, like, um, you know, I used to work in a treatment center and all the therapists hated process group because in process group, you have no idea what's going to happen. And I loved process group. I was like, yes, give it to me. Like, I want to be in that unknown. And I think um, that has really connected to that idea of being a mutant. It's like, I don't know where my life is going. You know, I grew up so much feeling like I had to decide what career I was going to do or where I was headed with my life. And, you know, that felt so limiting. And, you know, being a mutant really gives me so much possibility and opportunity and also helps me feel like I am resilient in the face of change and that I can continue to change. And I think it's also given me a feeling of um, having even a superpower, like even a superpower of um, adaptability and mutability. And I think that it's helped me connect with a lot of people who are also thinking in this way, who are also growing and shifting and in dialogue. And I think it really also connects to my belief in animism is that everything around us is conscious, is speaking with us. We are never alone. We're in a collaborative place. And with collaboration, we get impacted and we also impact. And I think that's also a part of being a mutant is that, you know, our superpowers influence each other and uh, they augment or they transform uh, our own superpowers. And I really witnessed that in the relationships I have with people uh, that, you know, I'm inspired by other super people's superpowers and, you know, they've really affected my own. And so I do feel like one of my superpowers is being an intermediary, being a bridge, being someone who connects different worlds. And uh, because of that, I, I think, you know, a few years back, I really started to think like, even though I, you know, have had a lot of success on Instagram, I cannot just be stuck on this platform because it's also been 
so toxic. So many negative things have happened. I'm not in alignment with so much. And it's really um, been so powerful to realize that there are friends all over the internet and that they exist in all sorts of pockets and spaces. And that has been really helpful. And I know it's going to continue to be really helpful going forward because I do feel like that decentralization is going to just become more and more expansive because people are you know, wanting to create their own spaces or wanting to not just be stuck in certain places. And I think this also connects with this idea of sovereignty too, is that we deserve to have some sort of ownership over the intellectual, cultural contributions that we're making. And we cannot let these platforms continue to make millions and millions of dollars off of us. So we have to find other ways to uh, really sustain ourselves in with the gifts that we're bringing into the world. And I think that's also, uh, you know, really connects to how as artists, we're trying to envision something else on the internet. We're trying to envision another way of relating. And I think that's what got a lot of artists in the Web3 space really excited when we first got into it was like, we're reclaiming our sovereignty. We're like reclaiming our right to be able to own our work and to share it in the way that we want to. And um, I think that that ethos has really, um, you know, kept me in that space and also made me start to question and think like, how could this be then now translated into folks who are in the traditional art market or who are creating content for the, you know, internet? Like, how can we start to think about sovereignty and royalties and uh, really thinking about the future as folks who are shifting and changing culture? While again, some are making millions off of that, you know? That, when I think about Web3 and the thing that still makes me most excited, it's exactly that, right? It is the, I love this word sovereignty that you've pulled up. Um, and I think for artists in particular, the royalties aspect, I might ask you just to describe that real quickly for folks who maybe don't know, but that as a potential kind of baked in feature when you're selling your work was like, to me, just like, a, like one of those like, duh moments, <laughs> like, like, yes, here's a way to actually facilitate this. Um, so yeah, can you just tell us a little bit about kind of what what that means or and what that um what sovereignty looks like for artists in Web three that you were excited about or are excited about? Yeah, um, so it you know in Web three when you decide to go down that route, you are able to create your own contracts, and with the contract that you make with your art. Uh, let's say you have a painting or a photo that you want to sell, you decide how much you sell it for. And you also decide that if someone in the future wants to resell it, you get a certain percentage of that money. And, you know, this makes me think of a couple of things. Like one, this does not exist within the traditional art market. So, so many artists have died poor while art collectors, gallerists, you know, curators, whatever, we're making thousands and thousands off of these artists who are maybe dying poor, right? No way for them to make some money off of this work that they sold when they needed to sell it because they were trying to pay their bills, right? And so there is something that's baked in. But I want to also mention that this was actually something that artists made sure was a thing. Uh, one of the artists is a friend of mine named Matt Kane. He was one of the people who like really organized artists to come together to put their foot down and say like, we will not work with these people. We are going to make sure that this is something that's baked in. And platforms have been trying to take away royalties. Some platforms don't acknowledge royalties. And so, so 
artists are even like kind of pivoting away sometimes from platforms even now and saying like, I'm going to create my own platform. That's actually at the cutting edge right now of Web3 is that there are some developers who are working on tools to help artists be their own platform so that on your own website, you can have your own store, you can have your own contract. So you control the whole operation of your art practice. And that to me is like the future so that you really don't have platforms playing with you and trying to take away your money. Um, uh, because I do feel like there obviously is so much incentive. Um, and, you know, and I think the other thing that this connects to too is that I feel like before when I was making memes or art for social media, I did have the feeling like this is just like a throwaway thing that I'm doing. I'm just like throwing it out there because social media wanted me to feel this way, right? Like without me knowing that like someone is making money off the clicks and the likes and the stuff that I'm putting out there, and so it's actually made me really start to rethink, like my digital art is not throwaway. My digital art is a part of my cultural production, part of my intellectual property. And so those are things that like are like, you know, paradigm shifting for people because like a lot of folks can have that feeling of like, oh, I just made this thing and I put it out there and it doesn't mean anything. It's free, it's throwaway, it's nothing. But someone is benefiting off of that. And in a similar way, I think about, how artists and therapists don't get taught about money, or if we do get taught about money, it's that we shouldn't want a lot, we should expect less, we should be happy when, whenever someone even throws us a look or whatever. And so I'm like, there is also something baked into a lot of people, especially if you're like not a cis straight white man, like we get taught that we should be happy not having a lot or that we should be happy with an opportunity, right? And you know, there is like a different relationship that I think artists are starting to build where it's like, I understand the value that I bring. I also understand that I have power in saying no, in standing up for myself and in expecting more. And so this is my hope too in Web3 is that it's going to build a different ecosystem and also relationship that we have to our own um, cultural contributions that we're creating. Yeah, th thank you so much for diving into that. Um, for anyone listeners who weren't really aware of that 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 shift, but I also it's just so like just to kind of relate it to my, my recent experience of going through and archiving all of these Instagram posts. <laughs> and of course, like I I used Instagram professionally for a large chunk of that, which was directly tied towards selling products. But I looked at some of the stuff and I was like, wow, the 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 probably like the, the months, if not years, of time like put into this and it was really it made me a little sick to be honest it made me a little sick to see that and and how and, and i think that it can be really powerful if anyone hasn't done a scroll back on your feed do it, it it's it's a it's a wild ride for sure um but it to your point this idea of almost thinking that i what i did didn't matter or it was it was a throwaway or it was only worth it in so far, or like it was only valuable in so far as I was able to kind of make money off of it in a different way. And it didn't make me kind of question my relationship to my own production as well and realize like, wow, I've done a lot of, done a lot for meta, man. You guys made some money off of me for sure. <laughs> um, yeah. So that brings me to one thing I'd love to just like touch on, um, which is, all right, sovereignty and autonomy and having your, you know, getting to control the contract and the experience and um, the uh, the whole thing, right? And then we're like, okay, great. And generative AI. 
Okay. So I'm curious how you feel about this moment where you're saying, and I agree with you, right, that I actually think artists and creatives are overall starting to notice how much power they have, even as a moment where we're just we're a week or two out from yet another media bloodbath, the Los Angeles Times um, canning, yeah. I think, over 100 people. I mean, yeah. from massive mismanagement of these things that are not like, like it doesn't have to be this way. Newspapers yeah. are not are not to generate huge amounts of profit. Like, I don't know what's wrong with these people. Um, you know, uh, layoffs at Forbes, Business Insider, um, it just goes on and on, right? Uh, and Condé Nast at this moment is just, uh, who even knows? Does anybody work there anymore? I'm not sure. So it, it's really like this this time where we have these really tenuous business relationships where creatives and artists and writers and journalists are being told that actually they're, they're worthless. Actually, you should feel lucky that anyone even wants to hire you and pay you seven cents a word or 50 bucks for your art, right? And part of what's being kind of held as the cudgel is generative AI we can just do this without you, right? We don't actually need you. Um, what are your feelings about this kind of tension right now? How do you reconcile it with this sovereignty you're talking about? Because I, I think it's reconcilable, but I'd I love to know what you're thinking about. Ah, uh, yeah. I feel like you just open up such a can of worms. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's so much here. Um, I think, you know, what I feel called to share is um, my most recent work that I've been doing in my practice is around um, this technology called Nyerika, which is a sacred map technology. It's also like a, a communing technology. It's a, it's, a, it's a technology that's used for ancestral communion, for divination, and also for honoring of ancestral packs. And it's also used in world building and creating worlds and showing you the world, but also helping you imagine it into existence. And so I've been really like diving deep into this, both as someone who's a descendant of the Virarica community and also as an artist who's interested in this as a technology. And I have been thinking so much about the ways in which AI is helping to build the future reality and how weird it is that like the people who are in charge of this maybe don't really understand like how big <laughs> this is of a task like this is going to impact so much and um as we know there are so many problems with like biases with intellectual theft you know and because of that i do feel like it these technologies at this moment maybe are seen as only within the technological quote unquote realm. And of course, technology is a very limited idea of what technology is, right? And who creates it. And so I feel like I've been trying to create some works that are trying to question or bring up this notion that, you know, it is really sacred. It is a very human, a very spiritual, a very a uh, very important thing to be creating reality and that there are ancestral packs. There are ways that we need to honor legacy. We need to honor the contributions of those behind who have gifted us their contributions. We need to hold them with care and that these things are maybe not being thought about as people are making these, you know, hierarchical uh, systems that end up producing like AI image generating software or machine learning and 
I do feel like uh, I have been really feeling pushed, even though I'm not someone who is that technologically savvy when it comes to AI and machine learning. I have been at least thinking a lot about what does it mean to bring in Indigenous perspectives, Indigenous technologies, queer feminist perspectives within these spaces to have dialogue and not let, you know, a lot of cis straight men create what the future looks like for us because that is where we're headed. And I think there is this um, really weird idea that AI can do stuff on its own. Like AI still needs people, like all those writers, all those artists, like they are still needed. Even if you're using AI as a technology, AI cannot do it on its own. And so it's like, it's really weird for people just to think like, we have AI now, let's get rid of all these people. Like you still need, you know, folks who are visionaries, who are creative, who are going to experiment or try things out. Like, we still need those people. Like, it is so sad to feel that, um, you know, there is this thought that humans are disposable or that, like, creative people who've studied and worked so hard towards something don't have something to contribute. Like, this technology is not going to save us. This technology is not going to do its work on its own. And also, if we're not careful, uh, we're letting people create what we think the future is who maybe don't understand what they're doing and they're only doing it because it's like what's sensational right now and what you should work hard to make some money right now off of. And so this is such a big topic that I do feel like we need to talk more about because it's only going to become more and more a part of our life. Like the fact that Zoom has AI in it now, like what? You know, like like so much is going to like have AI. And so I do feel like we need to be critical and thinking about what this means and who's designing it and what their thoughts are when they're designing it or what their purpose is. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I, first of all, I'm excited to hear about your new work that's emerging, that's pulling together some of these threads, and we'll have to keep yeah. an eye out for that. Um, and you said something really potent, you, were, you know, make people think people are disposable. Um, and that the people who are kind of making these decisions are, I think, kind of reinforcing that, I think, on purpose. You know, one of the ways that we're like the primary impact of this so far is kind of a, a cudgel against labor, right? Against against workers um, and cultural producers and people who actually have fed these machines with their their gifts and their art and their experiences. And I'm curious, you know, maybe just a I don't know, just like a brief brilliant nugget to close, but looking at you're talking about kind of these like ways of indigenous and queer knowledge and the historical aspect you're bringing into this. If the people who are building this future now are people who I do think are largely inclined through their decision-making, whether they would say it or not, to believe that some people are disposable, right? That it's fine to take, we actually know this is true. That's literally what they have said. These models can't exist if copyright law is honored. And this is more important than all of the work of all of these people of these entire lineages. Right. They don't care. Um, that's the, that is the actual like standing that they're, get, they're putting up. What is a different way to look at something like this? What is a different way to create reality? Yeah, I think, you know, I'm not surprised that this is happening. I do feel like one of the reasons why NFTs and crypto were so maligned was because it was a moment that artists felt a right 
to really take us take a claim into their their sovereignty and i do feel like this is almost like a response of like oh you all think you're more important than the platforms you think you're more important than those who are actually going to make money off of you and this is a way of bringing us down a peg right like we've seen this in abuse tactics like it is so so much a part of um you know I think it's like in a way like imagination is such an important space that we need to really think about as being more and more important going into the future because we're imagining you know these worlds that are kind of in right now in in a nascent place which is a world where artists and humans are honored for their contributions are you know honored for their labor or a world where that is not you know not the case and where we're almost invisibilized erased and i do feel like you know as humans we do have a lot to lose if we allow that you know world to exist and so i do feel like it is important to know that these technologies are here that these people are going to continue to work on these technologies and they make them more and more a part of our life but also knowing that this comes along with a narrative that they're really trying to sell, that they're really trying to push. And so I think that is a place where artists being, you know, at the forefront of imagination, like we are needing to really continue to say that humans need to be at the center, people need to be at the center, like we need to be able to honor that humans have something to offer that AI can never offer. It can never get to a place where it can understand and synthesize information the way a human brain can. And even if we're flawed and we're fuck ups, like AI cannot do that either. Like we know how to fuck up so well. We know how to experiment so well. We know how to fail so well. And these are things that create the most magical things. And I think this goes back to our manager play, play, you know, conversation too, where it's like, we have this narrative that like AI uh, can solve so much, but also like, I do feel like we need to start to question these stories that our managers or ourselves can start to take on. And it's it's only going to get more and more um, of, a, of a thing for us to like have to navigate. And so I feel like really holding space for a future that honors human production and presence is so important as we move more into the, these imaginaries. Thank you so much for that. I think, yes, this, the artist as the, 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 the forefront of the imagination and like that I, I'm going to, I feel like imagination is the word I'm kind of like going to like pull out and like tuck in the back of my head um, and how we can actually like preserve and cultivate that. I think of all the things that I see with, um, with generative AI, that's the thing that actually makes me the most scared is, is the dulling of the imagination, how how when we use those tools, we we stop thinking in quite the same way and lose, I think, some of that capacity. At least that's been my experience when I've used, when I've seen like an, a summary of something, I'm like, wow, that's better than anything I could have done. And that just like shuts down my brain. I'm like, it just, it's like, it just stops the imagination process. Yeah. Um, Edgar, where can people find you? Where can they learn more about you? Where they can they be on the lookout for this new work that is emerging? Um, where are you on the internet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I uh, have a website for my art practice, edgarfabianfrias.org. If you want to check out some of the uh, my portfolios, and I always update it with some of my new work coming up there. 
And uh, my therapy practice is therapywithedgar.com. Uh, if you're interested in my therapeutic practice, um, I am going to be offering a therapy group soon. So um, I definitely want to recommend folks sign up for my newsletter or just follow me um, on those websites. I also have links to my social media too, if you're interested. Uh, but yeah, I, that's where I'm at. I'm, awesome. I'm also all over the internet, so <laughs> I cannot be contained. <laughs> single-handedly decentralizing all of media everywhere. Yes. <laughs> um, all right. We'll link all of that up in the show notes. Edgar, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your wisdom and your experience. It has been such a delight to travel so, so widely with you. I appreciate yeah, it. Thank you so much. It's such a gift to connect with you. I'm like such a huge fan of you, of the work that you do. And it's just such an honor to be able to connect with you at this like moment at this, you know, juncture in time where you're also pivoting and mutating yourself and just really interested to see how things emerge for you. Like I, you know, been following your journey for a while. So I'm just like excited to see what happens next for you. I was like, same. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> um, I am going to, I'm going to uh, borrow this mutant term. I, I, I like changeability. I like, I like that, but the mutant makes me feel a little, makes me feel a little stronger, honestly, yeah. at, at a moment of great change. Um, yeah. Everyone who's listening, thank you so much for being here. We wouldn't be here without you. Make sure you check out Edgar's work online and we will see you next time. Bye for now.